Welcome in, everybody. It's what we do every Friday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's time to get in the cage. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. It's a pleasure to bring to the program for the first time. I've watched this guy for quite some time as a fighter and now as a commentator, and uh, he joins us for the first time on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. The voice of the PFL, Sean O'Connell, is with us. Sean, how are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. It's it's good to talk to you. It's it's you know I've I've watched you. I, I watched you fight through the tournament, and now watched you uh, as as the play by play man. And boy, what a seamless transition! I don't I don't know a ton about your background in terms of broadcasting or or anything that you had going before you stopped fighting. But you sound re- remarkably natural, and I'm not saying that just because I'm speaking to you. Did you have training? Did you go to school for broadcasting or journalism? Is it something you had done throughout your, your, your fighting career on some level? Or is this something you said, I think I can do it, and you just nailed it? I, uh, I didn't go to school for it. I kind of fell backwards into sports talk radio, and that has been my day job for the last, uh, I guess, 12 or so years. And even through my UFC career and my PFL career, I was doing – uh, you know, drive time sports talk radio in uh, Salt Lake City. I did a midday show in San Francisco for a short period of time, then back to Salt Lake City for another afternoon drive show. And I'm currently the host of Pac-12 Today on Sirius XM, which is a, an afternoon drive time uh, Pac-12-centric Sirius XM show. So I, I'm a radio guy, I guess. Uh, although I'm probably not very polished or professional at that either. But, uh, you know, I figured that there are very, very few people in the MMA space who have any kind of experience on, you know, a microphone or on camera or anything like that. And certainly uh, no fighters who had made the transition from being a competitor to play-by-play. You know, some guys... Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz and Paul Felder have done a really excellent job of moving into the analyst space, but nobody else knows how to do play-by-play, and I I thought that I could find a niche there, and thankfully PFL gave me that opportunity. No, it is a very interesting move, and you're right. There are a lot of former fighters that are that are analysts and do a great job at it, but it's it's incredibly unique what you do, and 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 part of what makes you know those broadcasts great with those guys is the play-by-play guy will defer to them he'll they'll he'll you know whether it's John Anik or anybody else for that matter sort of defer to the guys that have actually been in the cage and get out of the way and let them do their thing you kind of mix it up because you obviously come from that you know what it is to get in there you know what it is to be tired to be hurt to be up on a car to be down what have you is it hard to to not in, in, inject yourself in it and, and allow those guys to breathe, if you will, to allow, you know, Kenny Florian and Randy Couture and Chael Sun allow those guys to sort of bring their expertise into it. Yeah, I think that if there's something I need to get better at and I need to, to work on a little bit uh, as a play-by-play man, it's being more of a pure play-by-play man. And it, it's a delicate balance, right? Because I'm very proud of the fact that I, I was a long time professional in mixed martial arts as a competitor and i want to add my insight but my role is to narrate the action and to make sure that the the experts have the space to breathe if anything i need to talk less on all these broadcasts (laughs) that's that's something that i will continue to work on you know because i uh i guess i love the sound of my own voice I, (laughs) i i need to i need to defer more uh but it's tough because i know exactly what i'm talking about um, you know, I've not 
quite as decorated as somebody like Randy Couture or even as Kenny Florian, but uh, I'm well-versed in the, the mixed martial arts, and I know exactly what I'm watching, and sometimes as I am trying to narrate the action, analyzing the action, and, you know, something that's unique to our broadcast, uh, I think John Anik is unbelievable at his job, but he can't do what I'm doing in that regard, right? He doesn't, he doesn't always know exactly what he's seeing, even as he narrates it, even though he's very educated in the MMA world now. Uh, and I shouldn't say he doesn't know exactly what he's seeing. He's never experienced probably exactly what he's seeing. It is a better way to say that. So I don't want to completely abandon it, but I probably do need to be better at letting Analysis. Uh, as far as you know, you, you talk about being in the cage and proud of your career. You, you've got the unique distinction. We don't see this often, really, in any sport, but especially fighting, whether it's boxing or or the world of MMA. Somebody walking out on top. You won a million dollars. You won the tournament and said, "Thank you very much. That'll do it for me, everybody." And that's that's a really rare thing. How hard was that decision to walk out on top like that? Well, at the moment, it felt like the perfect thing to do, right? Because it was the biggest win of my career, the biggest purse of my career. And it was, you know, something I had kind of planned in the run-up to that fight. Like, hey, this is probably going to be it. I'm, I was 35 years old at the time. We all know that your athletic prime in most sports is, you know, probably before 35. I think MMA, it extends a little bit because of the experience factor being so important in this sport. But I wasn't getting any faster. I wasn't particularly fast in the first place. There's a lot of guys now who are coming up and they're 25 years old with just as much experience as a, you know in training as I had in, in my entire career. So the writing was kind of on the wall that it felt like the right thing to do. And now it still feels like the right thing to do because it's a rarity, because I've seen so many guys uh, you know, try and cling to the game a little bit longer than they should. And we've seen some absolute greats, some real legends tarnish their own legacies somewhat by taking three, four, five, six losses in a row and taking damage that compromises not only their legacy, but potentially their long-term health and their brain and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm very happy that I got out, even though sometimes I'll admit it to you when I'm watching PFL action or I'm watching the UFC or I'm watching Bellator one championship, whatever it is, I still look at some of the guys and say, ah, you know what? I was fighting at the best of my career when I left. I could probably beat that guy. I could beat that guy. <laughs> but I need to uh, I need to stay the course, stay retired, because that's another thing people don't do. They come out of retirement in this sport too often. I'm not going to. Yeah, it, it's just it's such an old cliche. It seems when it like I said, boxing, MMA, what have you, it just is that cliche. Everybody, you know, now we're watching – Oscar De La Hoya come out to fight Vitor Belfort and, you know, people that have been retired for, for over a decade come out and fight. And I think the money has got to be very compelling, very appealing to them. I can't imagine anything else being the motivator in that. As far as the sport of MMA, Sean, are, are you surprised that it's, that it's where it's at in terms of its popularity? And you just named all these promotions. We've got all these different promotions uh, for the hardcore MMA fans, you know, I know what one is. I know what PFL is. I, most people think UFC is the sport rather than the promotion. Uh, but it is huge. It is massive. A, PFL on ESPN in primetime. Uh, just any any surprises you sort of look at it now from where it began, where you began in your career to where it is now? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, a little bit of surprise because uh, it it's taken 25 30 years to get to this point 
And I don't think that even, you know, the NFL or the NBA 30 years into their existence had gotten to this kind of ubiquitous level where everyone is aware now of the top stars in MMA. Guys like me, you know, the average sports fan doesn't know, but everyone on the planet knows who Conor McGregor is, right? Yeah. Most sports fans know who Randy Couture is, my broadcast partner, and he was, you know, you can make an argument that he wasn't even really in the true prime of mixed martial arts. I think that era is now. Randy Couture was a huge part of what propelled the sport to where it is now, but Randy never got to fight on ABC or main ESPN. Randy never got to do any of that stuff. You know, he was he was still fighting on pay-per-views and on uh, Spike TV and things like that. So it's pretty amazing how fast the, the sport has risen to the relative mainstream. And it's exciting because I say relative mainstream. It still has probably another 30 years to go before it's really, really on the same level as those other leagues that I mentioned. And uh, I hope I'm part of it through that whole journey. Hey, you know, I just I just brought up briefly there, you know, the Oscar and Vitor and some of those things we're seeing. I'm I'm always curious to get people's take on this because it's such a polarizing thing. You know, whether we're we're talking about one of the Paul brothers versus Ben Askren or Floyd versus one of the Paul brothers or any of these kind of goofy fights that are that are being put together out there. Some look at it and go, man, that brings new eyes to the sport that would never be there otherwise. Others are saying, hey, this is this is terrible. It puts the sport in a bad light. It doesn't represent what it truly is and these aren't fans that that are going to come to the sport anyway because they think that's what it's like every every card. Where are you at with that? With with these these kind of goofy matchups of you? I don't even know what to call them, but you know these novelty acts, if you will. Yeah, I I'm probably kind of where you're at, where it's like, look, I I'm appreciative of true boxing, of the actual competitive. A real belt is on the line. Individuals who trained a lot of times in boxing since they were toddlers to get to this point. Uh, I like watching that kind of boxing, and obviously I love mixed martial arts, and I think that, you know, the, the top-level competitors and the people we have fighting for championships in the PFL, like, those folks deserve the opportunity at a $1 million payday that's coming their way. Uh, the other half of me is like, look, a novelty fight doesn't bother me if somebody who's put in the work and paid their dues is getting a payday, right? Like, I'm embarrassed that Tyron Woodley didn't put on a better performance, but I'm also glad that Tyron Woodley got a, a two-plus million dollar payday for something that ultimately, you know, didn't really, he didn't risk a lot in that fight. He wasn't going to get knocked out by that guy. He wasn't going to get hurt in that fight. And he showed up for uh, the biggest payday of his career, it sounds like. So I, I don't love the idea that, you know, Logan Paul, Jake Paul, any of these random YouTube stars, whatever, can step in with a couple years of training and automatically make more money than guys who really have, have paid their dues. Uh, but that's, that's the market we're in right now. So it's better to celebrate it, to try and get involved in it, try and get your own piece of the pie, than fight the tide because these things are not going to stop. There's too much money involved. And, you know, at some point we're going to get Justin Bieber versus <laughs> Bell. What? I will applaud Whoever gets to punch the the Paul brothers in the face and cash those checks, I, yeah. I, I really will. I, I mean, if they called me and said, "Hey, I know you're retired. I know you're you're happy that you went out on top. We want you to to be in a boxing match against both the Paul brothers at one time," I'd be like, "Cool, give me five million bucks. I'm in." You know, like we all have, we all have our price. 
And yeah. I'm not going to sit on a high horse and pretend that the purity of the sport is so sacred that we can't let people cast checks. Speaking with the voice of the PFL, Sean O'Connell here on 710 ESPN Seattle for just a few more moments. Hey, Sean, where, where do you think the, the gap in talent is? When, when this, you know, again, we keep talking about where, where mixed martial arts started versus where it is now and all these different promotions between UFC and PFL and Bellator and one and all of that. What, what, it used to be that UFC was the NFL, if you will, of, of M- MMA. Yeah. And then everything else was considered a lesser product. And it's probably still viewed that way by many. But that gap, to me, has closed in a massive way. And we've seen UFC fighters go to one and get beat. We've seen them go to Bellator and get beat. So I'm wondering where you think the, the gap in talent, if that exists. And we saw Rory McDonald and PFL get beat. You know, a guy who was a star yeah, at, I mean, at the UFC level. So where do, do you think it's... It's now evened out. Do you still look at the UFC as the cream of the crop in the way of talent? How do you view it? The, the big difference is in depth, right? And I think the best way to equate it for the average sports fan is uh, you talk about college football, right? College football, you play Alabama has starters on both sides, multiple starters on both sides of the ball who are going to be playing in the NFL someday. And when they go – play against a team like my alma mater, University of Utah, right? Everyone says Alabama's going to win. The Pac-12 can't compete with the SEC, just like they'd say the PFL is not the UFC. And it's the depth of talent that is the real problem. Utah has maybe four or five guys that are just as good or better than the people who are playing at Alabama. But the problem is Alabama has 30 of those guys, right? Utah turns out NFL players every year but it's not multiple on both sides of the ball every single year. It's the same for University of Washington, right? They've got a defensive backfield that continues to produce talent and has a legacy of creating very high-level NFL players. But in this case, they're not Alabama. They're not Clemson, right? They are a team that can certainly compete and maybe win a game every now and again against a true, like, blue-blood SEC power or an Ohio State. But it's not the, the top-flight talent that's the difference. It's the depth of the talent. Ray Cooper III, Magomed Magomed Karamov, two welterweights who are in the championship for us in PFL, could compete with anybody on the UFC roster. I want to see Maga or Ray against Kamara Usman. I want to see them against someone like Vicente Luque. I want to see those fights because there's not a gap between those guys. Now, would those two individuals probably be in a PFL championship if they came over? Yeah, because, you know, they're the cream of the crop. They're the best in the world at what they do. The problem is the UFC, they've got a top 10 or top 15 who belong in that conversation in the PFL and in Bellator and in one championship. There's maybe two to four to six guys, depending on the weight class, that actually gets to be there. So it's, it's depth of talent that's the big difference between the UFC and everyone else. It's not the champions, and it's not the very best in those organizations because all of those individuals can compete absolutely with the best in the UFC. Uh, that's, a, that's a great point. That's a great way of putting it. Hey, last couple things before I let you go. As a guy that did it yourself, you fought for the UFC. You fought, obviously, in the PFL as well. How did you? How do you compare that? Because it is dramatically different in the scheduling, in how frequently you're fighting. And I'm wondering if your approach is any different as somebody fighting in a tournament-type 
situation like the PFL where you're understanding, hey, I've got to stay healthy because I've got another fight, you know, right around the corner. UFC, I mean, you know, people sometimes they fight twice a year. Sometimes they fight more than that. But it's you don't you don't have that same schedule that you do in the PFL. Which which did you prefer and did it change your approach in the way of I always thought maybe if you're a PFL fighter fighting in the tournament, there might be more urgency to ending your fight, trying to end it. You're always trying to end it, but more urgency. Like, I don't want to take damage. I don't want to risk injury because I know I've got another fight if I win this one right around the corner. How did you approach it? Incentivized, you get more points in the regular season for getting finishes. So there's a lot of reasons for you to get in and out of the cage as quickly as you can in the PFL regular season especially. And, And look, the, the UFC's formula is a great one. They're obviously you know, incredibly profitable, and they've got some of the best fighters in the world, and they've done a great job of building their brand to where it is. Uh, and I had a good experience in the UFC. I, I, you know, I bonused three times, and I had some fun fights that people still remember. So I, I have no problems with what the UFC does. In the PFL, at least for me, it, was, it worked better because as someone who was always working another job also, always had a side gig, it was nice to know what my schedule was going to be. Like, it was definitive. You you know if you're part of a PFL season when your fights are. You know that you have to be ready every seven weeks to step back into the cage. You can't take a bunch of time off. You can't let yourself get out of shape and overweight because your next UFC offering might be six months down the road. And, you know, there are some guys who are crazy disciplined and stay in the gym and stay in shape and stay on weight all year round, but it's not as common as the average fan might think it is. The PFL forces you to do that, and every fighter that I've talked to who's done both, who's come from to the PFL, they have expressed their appreciation of the consensible schedule where it says, look, you're coming over here, you're going to fight four times for us. At the end of that four-fight streak, if you've done your job, you'll be competing for $1 million. You have no such guarantees. In the UFC, there's politics and there's matchmaking and all that stuff. And again, that's their model, and it works for them. For us to distinguish ourselves in the PFL and to be considered on par, away from UFC, we had to do something that differentiates us, and that is it. It's that you are going to fight in a season just like the Seattle Seahawks play in a season, just like the Mariners play in a season. Every year you start over and you're pursuing a championship the same way every other sports league does. That's It's very cool. Very cool. Hey, last one before I let you go, and I should let people know that the PFL World Championships will be happening October 27th at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida. Kayla Harrison, who's been a, a frequent guest with us, will be uh, fighting as well as Ray Cooper III, and, and it's just a stack card out there. So that's coming up October 27th. Hey, last thing before I let you go, and, and as, you, as you mentioned, you're, you're a sports talk show host as well as a, as a commentator. How much do you talk about the sport of MMA? And I know it depends on the city and where you're at. And, you know, as an afternoon drive host out here in Seattle, you know, I love the sport. I've, I was brought up boxing. I've trained jiu-jitsu for 13 years. It's just in my blood. It's something I love. Yet I understand in the eyes of many it's still considered a niche sport. And if it comes up at all, I'll, you know, we'll get the text of people go, oh, these, these guys are bar brawlers. They're meatheads. They don't, you know, they, they don't understand what they're watching. So it's still far from a mainstream sport in the way of conversation on a show for me anyway what's that like for you as somebody that's fought in the cage i would imagine maybe people are more curious since you've experienced it at the level you did 
I think the only time we ever bring it up is when, you know, there is some like, hey, here's an example of a team that really had to dig deep and push it, and you could tell they were exhausted. You could tell that, you know, they were not they were far from feeling their best and they somehow win. Of course you can draw that analogy to like, hey, I was in a fight that went exactly like this and sometimes that's all it is. It's just, you know, reaching down and finding the guts and making it happen. But I we probably talk about it less on my show than you do uh in yours because <laughs> you know, we're a college we're college centric. We you know, there's not MMA or really anything that equates to it on the Pac twelve front most of the time. So and that's what you just said is a representation of what my my earlier point was that, you know, the sport has come an incredibly long way, but still has a very long way to go. Because if it was truly mainstream, then people would be calling and talking to you about the big fight this past weekend the same way they do about, you know, this coaching decision or that game, or I can't believe that we just saw this pitching rotation switch or whatever it is like the the American sports public is not on that level yet. You have to go to a place like Sirius XM, their combat channel, to find that programming. Uh, or you have to go to podcasts and things like that. And I hope, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, we get to a point where you and I have a show where people are calling in on a, you know, normal day to talk about the weekend in MMA. We're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look forward to that day. I got, I've got the hardcores. They'll text in. They'll, hey, what did you think of this fight? What did you think about that decision? That you know, what have you? But yeah, as far as mainstream, we're not quite there yet. Sean O'Connell well, is. Look, oh, go ahead. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I mean you're doing good. You're, you're doing the sport a huge favor by like even giving that voice uh, in what is otherwise a very like bat and ball centric market, right? I mean, Seattle's an important market that can kind of drive the taste of, of the national sports scene. And so if you've got a, a drive time host who knows what they're talking about and can actually inform the public and educate the public and help create more fans, that's a huge boon. It's not good for the sport when Stephen A. Smith is talking about MMA Ugh. on SportsCenter because the guy doesn't know what he's talking about at all. Oh, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Man. <laughs> just, uh, I scream at my TV, and I understand e- ESPN has to justify his salary somehow. So we're going to plug him in everywhere and use him everywhere. But, yes, I'm 1,000% with you. Listening to him talk about MMA is maddening. It just it, – it, I can't take it. I can't take it. It's, it's just – it's abuse. It's no, nobody wins there. Uh, Sean O'Connell is the voice of the PFL. Uh, does a great job with, along with Kenny Florian, along with Randy Couture, Chael Sonnen, just a fantastic broadcast. Again, the next card coming up in October, the championships taking place October 27th. Sean, a real pleasure to speak to you, man. I really want to talk to you for a while. I'm glad we were able to do it. And maybe, maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we'll throw a call your way during the, the college football season, talk some Pac-12 football. Let's do it. I look forward to that. Thanks for having me on.